This short code podcast is a proud member of the MedEd Media Network. Inspiration, information, and guidance on your journey to medical school and beyond at MedEdMedia.com. Meandering in the margins of medicine, it's the short code podcast. Weird news, fresh views, helpful clues, and interviews. By students, for students. Subscribe to our weekly show at theshortcode.com. Welcome back to the Short Code Podcast, a production of the University of Iowa Carver College of Medicine. I'm Dave Butler. With me today in the studio, it's MD, PhD student Aline Sanduk. Hello. M1 Nathan Spitz is in the house. What's up, party people? M4 Matt Wilson is back. Hey. And MD, PhD student Hannah Van Ert is joining us as well. Hello. Uh, Pre meds. Before we get started, I just want to remind you that the Carver College of Medicine uh, will be hosting. Uh, We'll, be have, we'll have a booth at the AAMC Virtual Fair today, February 20th. I know our admission staff are looking forward to chatting with you about your application plans. So go visit our booth at AAMC.org slash virtual fair and, uh, and uh, you know, get your questions answered. Uh, and no, Hannah, it's not the 20th. <laughs> Show comes out on the 20th. Um, so thank you all for being here, and I'm happy to have the breadth of your experience because this week the sky fell on medical education, um, or the flowers of progress bloomed, depending on your outlook, um, because in possibly the biggest change to medical education since the inception of step one, the USMLE has announced that step one will, as of January 2022, uh, the latest be pass fail. Uh, as I implied, some people are freaking out, others are celebrating. Uh, and if you want to know why some people are celebrating, we did a whole show on step one and it's misuse by residency programs just a few weeks ago in time to have it completely upended our show completely upended and made invalid. No, uh, on the contrary, n no event could have made that episode more relevant. I feel, actually, I feel like it was it, the timing was at least you're not embossed and you just put out a bunch of step one prep stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yes. After years of study. Yeah. We, uh, we invested put this a together. bunch of time and money. Yeah. And now crap. People are not going to use it as much. Can I respectfully push back on a misunderstanding? Is it that? Well, I think in my understanding was that they said as early as 2022, not as late as. Perhaps if I was doing my job, I would have nailed that down a little further. Thanks, Nathan, for pointing out that I didn't do the work. <laughs> so, I mean, anyway, wait, wait, well, before we get started, I want to play the question uh, uh, from, uh, for, I mean, we got a bunch of listener questions um, on this topic, but I'll just pick one that's sort of representative. Hey, you cool, cool cats. USMLE step one is going to be pass fail in 2022 when I expect to take the exam. How should this change be factored into my plans for applying to residency? Will step two be the new step one? Does this mean your school's prestige will mean more? Does this put state schools at a disadvantage when applying to residencies? Does this disproportionately affect DO students who take the USMLE exams alongside COMLEX exams in the hopes of getting into competitive residencies? Will my school get rid of dedicated study period? Am I overthinking this? <laughs> you guys are amazing. Asking. Keep on keeping on. <laughs> Sincerely, Terrified Chihuahua. Uh, oh, look, terrified, one question at a time. Please. <laughs> 
we're like oh <laughs> this is the meme of like the woman in the jail cell where there's all the, uh, the numbers, numbers yeah. floating around your head like what is going on yeah it's uh i mean so here's what happened just if you haven't been paying attention or if you're you know if, if you're a pre-med just starting your journey maybe and you have not all clued in here's what happened the uh, federation of state medical boards the national board of medical examiners the american medical association the association of american medical colleges and the educational commission for foreign medical graduates all threw their many acronyms into a room and made three changes after a lot of study first the number of temps at the number of attempts allowed to take a step exam went from six to four. Number two, you now have to pass step one to take step two clinical skills. Uh, and the, both those changes, by the way, no big deal. They were, you know, 99% of Who people <laughs> were already doing those things. Um, and the change, the big change is uh, step one from a three digit score to a pass fail score. So I thought we'd take uh terrified chihuahua's questions one at a time it's like steve jobs at the you know the apple events where he introduces a couple of things and he's like oh yeah and, and one by more the way thing. here's the iphone <laughs> <laughs> and one more thing we're gonna blow up your shit yeah <laughs> um okay so first question will step two be the new step one yes it sounds like it i feel like with the last like truly objective kind of like three digit score it's you know, as a screening tool, more than likely that it will become more important. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah, in fact, here's uh, what Dave Johnson, fellow Dave, uh, here's what Dave Johnson, who's the senior vice president at the Federation of State Medical Boards, had to say during a podcast released by the USMLE a couple days ago. It's fair to say that an underlying assumption by FSMB and NBME governance in removing the step one numeric score was that those residency programs that cannot do without some type of objective metric, either because of limited resources or choose not to because of they, their view of the importance of a relevant standardized test, uh, those programs will likely turn to step two CK. And I think most people would agree that if there is to be a uniform metric applied at the discretion of the program, it's more appropriate to use the clinically oriented step two CK. And in fact, I, I would just add that the current literature suggests there is more validity for step two CK for predicting some of the measures of physician performance uh, compared to step one at this time. So there you go. So that's all great and true, mm. but Let's think about, let's work backwards from why step one was a problem. Step one is a problem because it was over relied on by residency programs to stratify applicants. Right. <clears throat> why did they over rely on it? Because they get too many applicants to read through all of the applications line by line and, and stratify them that way. <clears throat> so they have to have some reason to cut it down. So there will still be a need for an objective measure of students performance on standardized tests in order to, to perform that function, right? And I agree that step two CK is a better measure of that. However, <clears throat> say you, uh, it, the, the problem is a matter of the timeline. Say you are, uh, you really want to apply to a, a competitive specialty, derm, ortho, ophthalmology, whatever. And you 
spend all of your first couple years of medical school, you know, oriented towards that. You, you know, are doing research oriented towards that. You, you know, orient your extracurriculars towards that, whatever. Then you take step one. And in the old model, you don't do as well as you wanted. And, you know, you go to your advisors and they say, yeah, it's maybe a good idea to start looking at other options. Now that sucks, but that's at least you have time in your third year to look at, look into other options. And you also have the potential to do better on step two CK and sort of resurrect your chances of getting into a more competitive specialty. Now you are at the end of your third year, you take step for most medical schools, you take step two CK, you do not as well as you wanted on it. And now you have two or three months before you have to submit your application. What do you do? Probably you dual apply, which means that the number of applications going out to residency programs are going to increase. Mm. And now the problem is worse than it was before. That line of reasoning makes a lot of sense. Is, I also am su not super familiar with step two CK scoring, but I've read in <laughs> quotes that it's not as good at stratifying students either. As st obviously, step one was not meant to stratify, but what's the kind of uh, I, yeah, I, I don't score. I'm not a hundred percent like super attuned with that, but I I do think I have read also that step two CK the grouping is a little tighter. Right. Yeah. On the on the show that we uh, that we did a couple of weeks ago, the problem was that, you know, step one was only accurate um, around one ninety four, and as you got higher and higher, the pass fail mark, the pass fail mark, right. yeah. And as you got higher and higher scores, the difference between people was less and less. In fact, at the at the higher levels, it was like sixty. You needed sixteen mm -hmm. point difference between people in order to distinguish them in any statistical meaning right meaningful way um so that to the extent that step two is better at that then then i guess but it isn't better at that that's, that's what we're saying slightly better than it's that, it's, it's, it's worse. worse the the uh what is it called the spread right the there's a statistical word for that that i my m4 brain is blanking the standard, on. I, I, standard I, deviation yeah I'm a, standard I, I was a bookie in a former life so you know <laughs> spread is, what's the what's the exactly. big the same yeah yeah you want to put odds on me matching yeah. <laughs> uh yeah the the standard deviation is lower yeah. for step two Interesting. um i think and i you know i think the the only, I think the only thing we can really say for sure right now is that step two CK is going to become much more highly emphasized and people are going to have to have their score, like de facto have their score before they apply now, mm -hmm. which is not always the case. And I think beyond that, the real answer is that we don't really know what's going to happen, yeah. which is a problem in and of itself. Well, you, you shouldn't blow up the whole medical school residency application process and then be like, yeah, we did this. And, you know, people don't seem to like step one. So we got rid of it. And we don't really know what's going to happen. I mean, that's <laughs> well, I think I, I think this is yes, this sort of con this brings into question something we were going to address in a little bit, but which is essentially we're not done yet. You know, they, right. yeah, they, right. they, they are still working on what comes next. Yeah. And I, they I decided to, they decided to issue this, uh, edict proclamation, whatever you want to call it. They decided to issue this decision. Um, the king knowing, proclaimed. Yes, knowing that, <laughs> be known. no, knowing that, you know, this was the first of several things that needed to happen in order to fix the residency application 
system process the transition from anyway um <laughs> yeah a lot so more that, work to do <laughs> keep that in, keep that in mind well, um but so there, anyway there's some very interesting like tin foil hat theories out there yeah. Um, one of them is that, you know, there's <laughs> been conspiracy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I have a lot. Um, one of them, I think, is that uh, there's been a lot of pressure over the years, I think, to like get rid of step two um, just because like it's very clearly um, a big source of revenue for these organizations. Yes. Step two CS. Step two yeah. CS. Yeah. Yeah. Clinical skills. That's the one where you, um, you know, you you uh, you go to your exam, you uh, examine fake patients. Yeah. Um, you know, standardized patients. You have to take them both. You though, do have to take right? them both. Mm -hmm. um, but I think step two CS is probably not going to be what you take first. Right. Yeah, in fact, didn't they, in that thing you read, didn't they say that you have to pass CK before you can take CS? Or is it step one? Step one, you have to pass step one. In oh, order okay. To, yeah. I already thought that was the case, but I guess not. Yeah, I, did. I was surprised to know that. Yeah. So what I heard is that there's a, been a lot of pressure to get rid of that. Yeah. And so the compromise is to kind of soften the blow of step one um, in order to kind of preserve this, like, very good source of income for these organizations. Okay. All right. And... <laughs> One. No, I, I'm like, yep, totally yeah. predictable yeah. tinfoil hat. Well, here's the thing, too. Um, the point that Matt was making about how a lot of people apply to residency without having taken that, and now they have to. Um, so it's almost incentivizing more people to take it and sooner, maybe before they're even ready. And so more people are going to fail and then have to retake it, and that's more money. Well, they wouldn't take step two see i want to make sure i understand you're there the the theory is that they will have to take step two clinical skills don't, don't earlier take... or clinical knowledge well because i'll have to take, take step two clinical knowledge earlier i think for sure but don't you take that don't they have to be taken within a certain period of time within each other uh i mean i know just for the university of iowa you have to take step to CS before uh, December 31st of your M4 year. But I don't know that. Yeah, I don't know I, if that's I guess, a rule. Yeah, there or... might be some rule about like it has to be taken within like a year or something like that. So, you, you know, your yeah. score is still so it, I don't really know. So it may be, and that's a good question. That it may, it may conspiracy be Conspiracy withdrawn, I realize. <laughs> I, no, I, I mean, I, if, if, it's not, if it's not your conspiracy theory. But... I think actually what's more likely to happen in that regard is that People, because there's less emphasis on step one, people won't study as hard for it and their base of medical knowledge. I mean, step one is hard, but step two CK is also a very hard test. Yeah, like, yeah. And, you know, it doesn't have as much basic, basic, you know, science on it, but it, it still has like a lot and it, and it still helps a lot to have that solid, like basic science knowledge base from step one going into step two. And I, th I think people probably won't it won't quite be as solid because people don't it's there's there isn't going to be quite the emphasis on it as there was before um and so i think that that may affect people's performance on step two ck actually um the second question was does this mean a school's prestige will mean more and will that put state schools at a disadvantage i don't think so i don't really don't think so because step two Step two will be available to programs as the metric that they step two CK will be available as the metric that students that, that programs can 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 use. So why would they fall back on prestige? Yeah, 
So my impression of that is that the people who are going to win here are the schools with a lot of really valuable extracurriculars. So our school, I think, is going to win because we already as a I mean, as an institution perform really well on those exams. But we're also a very strong research organization mm -hmm. and a lot. There's a big push, you know, kind of from um, Dean Schwinn. I think originally and like all the deans kind of emphasize this but like there's a big push for Carver medical students to be involved in research yeah so a lot of our graduates whether they really need it or not and plan like a long-term research career have research experience which is a fantastic asset so we're gonna do really well because we have the you know the strong research infrastructure we also have the distinction tracks which is kind of a way to major mm -hmm. in med school so i think those are going to be the activities that residency programs i think start to look for to kind of distinguish candidates is like okay well you're all very smart and you all have good grades but like what other assets do you bring to the table so that's my theory and even just like within their question they talked about like there's some like top 20 top 15 state schools and there are some like lower tier private schools as well so i think just like yeah. lumping in state versus private not necessarily yeah. super accurate um just to, like as a heads up to the listener but i was gonna say that i thought that was an interesting distinction is that a thing that people think that state medical schools are worse than private medical schools i think i think so as, as a yeah. general rule that's kind of like the perception it's i don't think it's but real. if you go to ucla like mm -hmm. or ucsf or like, UW, those are yeah, yeah or michigan yeah. like those yeah. are top 20 yeah. top 10 medical schools i mean it's it's classic it's, it's it's classic economics right like oh if you pay more for something it's uh, it means more to you yeah. like if you if i if i buy a you know ninety thousand dollar car i'm gonna like it more than if i bought the same car that costs thirty thousand dollars but it's but it's kind because of because i have to it's, i fucking have to it's, <laughs> it's kind of a red herring though right like we should put aside the the state versus private and just say like the more prestigious and well-known your school is the probably you know because residency directors are gonna have to look at something and i think you know you're right dave that they're they still have step step two ck but I think the writing is probably on the wall for the three-digit score for step two CK because it's the you know you're just you're 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 gonna have the same problem right like the the problem that was step one is now gonna be the problem of step two CK and I think most likely in the next you know few years that that's gonna be transitioned from a three-digit score to a pass-fail score. Is it, are you do you think it's impossible for the USMLE to make changes to CK such that it's better at discriminating? How I I don't know how what changes they would make. I've heard um you know the the idea of having like quartiles or um quintiles and and that actually is worse, right? Because then your your level of granularity is actually decreased. But if it's granular to the extent that the current measurement is granular right then at least you're at least you're able to hang your hat on something there as opposed to like a difference of you know like of like 10 points me meaning nothing hmm. right but if you're but but if the if the um so like for for uh step one i think the the uh, confidence interval for a score is like 16 points right, right? right so that actually you could actually skip from like the second quartile to the fourth quartile 
it in a in a oh yeah spread of 16 points yeah I see skip what you're over it. like so you could be at the top of the like your your numerical score could put you at the top of the second quartile yeah but if you look at the actual confidence interval for what that score for that score like at the top of it could actually put you in the fourth quartile in the in the top quartile all right so it's not about quartile it's then maybe it should be about like okay we've got a 10 point scale We've got a ten point scale, and if you score in this area, you get a you, your score is eight. If you are if you get you know this many right, your score is nine, and then that way you can account for and adjust based on. I don't think it's I, I don't think it's fixable. Okay. I think that that the best it will be is a three digit score with a confidence interval. So one of like I'm going to be the pie in the sky person here, but. One of the things that I think we've brought up here is that there's too many like papers, you know, applicants on someone's desk, and how do you go about like identifying right. those people? And I've heard from other people in leadership positions that that is a problem, but it's kind of like it is a self-propagating, self-fulfilling prop prophecy. And so I wonder, and I don't know how you would go about doing this, which makes it really hard to suggest as a solution, but either limiting or telling students hey you only need to apply to like 10 residencies instead of the like yeah. 40 or i don't know that was one of the yeah that was one of the things suggested in this usmle podcast is you know maybe there are things that could be done we don't you know i know it's hard because then it would say or was that in one of the bits of feedback we got from because i reached out to some to to several uh program directors at mm -hmm. uihc and asked them well what were your initial thoughts um and i got two back I only got two back, unfortunately, but they were from one from ophthalmology and one from OBGYN. So mm -hmm. pretty competitive specialties. I Yeah. And so what I think it would be beneficial in that, you know, residency applications are incredibly expensive. And so it would be able to save medical students more money if they're, you know, if they only say, hey, I'm going to apply to 10 and that's it. Um, and then it would also limit the amount of people that are coming across certain, you know, the majority of programs desks. I realize there will be like the ivy league of residency programs that everyone will be applying to but then hopefully if you have a smaller amount of applicants you'll be able to digest them more and look at them more holistically instead of as a number yeah. so like i i get it that that's lofty but well what's interesting to me about all this is that you know the the programs the the two people who responded were um both expressed the that idea that they had you know they've got so many applicants they have you know, and they get applications or they get uh, materials from med schools that are difficult to parse. Mm -hmm. um, you know, basically, it's, it, the, what they get, it makes it difficult to compare apples to apples and decide. Right. Make, which, make is, which is what the standardized testing is supposed to right. role they're supposed to play. But I would, I just, I really, I, okay, I really hate standardized tests because I just don't, I think that there is an inherent discrimination there or like it's, I don't believe that the people who like are going to be the best doctors necessarily perform great on all the tests. I will I will say like I do think we need some sort of licensing exam to make sure people are safe that you know like minimum standard has to be right like yeah. mm -hmm. if you see a gray baby did they get chloramphenicol or whatever. Um, so, I don't know I just don't think that standardized tests are necessarily like the most equitable way to pick people's education yeah and, and that's and that's a problem for diversity and and 
but the, the very important things that you know med schools and medicine uh, alleges to hold very dear yeah. um, i think it's misplacing the problem though the problem is not the standardized test the problem is the over reliance on the standardized test right the the there should be like it, i i do believe that having an objective standardized measure that you can compare across you know the every graduate in the country is a valuable thing to have as a part of the application the problem is when you over rely on that and i agree that the 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 reason that happens is because residency program directors have way too many applicants and you know like i to your point about i think 10 is probably too little because you need at least 10 interviews to match to have like if you look at charting outcomes in the match you have to have between 10 and 12 interviews to have like a 95 percent chance of matching in at least in emergency medicine and, and in most specialties like the line starts to asymptote mm-hmm. at you know about 10 or 12 interviews but like so an idea i've heard is that you 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 allow uh students to apply in rounds so the mm-hmm. first round the first month you can send out 20 applications <clears throat> you take your top 20 programs that you want to apply to and you send out your app your applications and say you get 15 offers back you pick which ones you want to go to you're done that's it so you get five back and you're like oh, shit you know <laughs> i need to apply to some more programs so the next month you're allowed to apply to 20 more programs right mm-hmm. and that way you know it's it's um you have a uh a, you have the ability to sort of prioritize the programs that you really want to be applying to while still reserving the the option to like apply more broadly if you need to mm-hmm. so i think that's a more that's interesting that's a closer i think a closer solution you know to get at the real genesis of the problem that's interesting something that i've also seen is like more transparency on the residency uh the pds like and as well like releasing if they have cut scores if they're still going to have a three-digit score if they release like what their cut score is and you blow that it again limits the number of people applying yeah you don't you don't get we don't have that information right um the only thing we have are averages and that means very little i mean this the 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 min max could be you know mm. very not hugely. all programs report that right averages either right right you know the impression that i got from the two people that you consulted dave they were like lamenting the step one score but it's they have no choice and they didn't seem unhappy about this change from what i could tell they seemed to think that it was like a step in the right direction Mix, mixed sort of a mixed yeah. They, their their feedback was sort of mixed on it. They were like, eh, well, okay, now we're going to have to change. Yeah, yeah, which is my whole point is like people don't like step one. So they're like, okay, well, we'll just get rid of it or, you know, we'll make it pass fail effectively, like making right. it not right. a big thing. Anymore. Not a factor anymore. Right. And I mean, it's you still have to pass it, but, you know, that like, <laughs> it just seems like such a simplistic solution to the problem, you know, like let's like, oh, we people don't like this. Like it's high stakes and it's over relied on and people are stressed by it. Like, all right, well, let's just get rid of it, you know, and well, they, like, let the they chips definitely the didn't do it to help med students. I can tell you that there someone is making a significant amount of money off this change. Otherwise, they wouldn't <laughs> have Aline's, done it. This Aline's <laughs> back to follow money. the money. Yeah. Follow the yeah. money. Who stands to benefit from perpetuating a problem or even altogether creating a problem? And I really do think and I, I should probably learn more about step two before I go off you know on this tangent but I really do think that it's going to create more pressure on people to perform better and to take step two well I mean quicker, it, like, it, to the extent that it's the only objective measure that they will have I mean yeah, yeah. you're not you're going to want a freaking ace yeah uh step two or better 
Yeah, yeah. Um, and there's so no, that just puts more pressure. There's no altruism here. This what this is a a, a for a for profit organization that made a change that you know on the surface may seem to relieve pressure on students, but really it's somehow it's going to make them more money. We just have to figure that you, out. You know what's funny? As an aside, you know who the president of the American Association of Medical Colleges is right now? David Scorton. Yeah, former uh, professor of cardiology at the University of Iowa and yeah. president of the University of Iowa. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, interesting. Former director of the Smithsonian as well. Funny. Oh. And president of Cornell. I don't. I, He's a good guy. I'm not saying he that. is a good guy. <laughs> when he was here, he was people be- were really sad to see him go. Yeah, yeah. he was beloved. Yeah, he's when he guy. was here. Um, we should call him up and be like, "Hey, Dr. Scorton, like, yeah. <laughs> what's going on, dude? Come on the show. Tell it's us over what's there. Up. Yeah, what's going on over there? <laughs> show the eye with some love." Um, I, oh, I don't. I don't mean to imply that like the intersection doesn't exist between making money and benefiting people. I'm definitely. You know, I see the capitalist benefit. I just wanted to make that clear that like there, the I think the driver here isn't like oh, how do we relieve pressure on medical students? It's not really that. I don't know that that was their primary motivation, but I agree that they wouldn't have made the decision if they were if it was gonna like really harm their bottom line. Yeah, probably. Does this disproportionately affect DO students? Something I've been on the Reddit forums and like <laughs> there there is some fear mongering, but it's like very valid points in We that. have our Reddit correspondent. Right here we go. Nathan Smith. Check out our backslash anyway. Um, <laughs> there are some very valid points of like IMGs, people who go to Caribbean schools or DO schools, like step one was their chance to like kill it crush it and to actually get recognition get their from, name in front of the pds right yeah. exactly um and if we kind of like and again step two ck we'll still have a score but as we talked about if the spread is less um i can't foresee that being beneficial to somebody from a lesser known school if it happens later in your medical school process like it's harder to adjust to whether you whether you do well you know you, know, you exceed your own expectations or you know fall short of them right so I, I can't, you know, nobody's been like, yes, this is good for DO or IMG applicants. So. Yeah, that was my first thought, actually, was international medical students, because that is really the way for them to shine when you have a school that the person looking at your application has never heard of. So, yeah. Well, it's interesting that the ECFMG, the body that uh, sort of manages the foreign medical graduate program, was involved in the decision making and all this. So. Oh. Hopefully, they were thinking ahead. <laughs> and this is, again, yeah. we talked about like dropping the bomb with no kind of like here's some solutions or anything like that. They just drop the bomb and like stay tuned. And what are people? You know, neurotic people <laughs> yeah. Yeah, let's in the medical clear. school process. Let's like, be clear: gonna... if you're going to change the world, the last people you want to do that <laughs> and expect nothing, f- expect to hear nothing from are med students. Yes, med right. students yeah. love change. Yeah, they're like, oh. Okay, we trust you. Yeah. yeah. It's not going to happen. It's actually, it's funny though. I was, I've also been trolling the internet as I want to do. Uh, <laughs> plus or minus there being radical changes to medical education. Um, <laughs> but the med Twitter is very pro, or it, it seems like is uh-huh. much more pro this change than, than uh, Reddit yeah. medical school. Okay. So, it's it's very interesting, and I don't know if it has to do with like anonymity versus, uh, I, you know, like having your name attached to it, um, or it, it also seems like there are a lot more people on Med Twitter who are you know more prominent and have more followers who are 
residents or you know yeah that's because they, that's where the pros hang out at this point right, right. yeah they are mo- you know more right. prominent because they're more established in the field right and and you know medical students just go on reddit and make memes and <laughs> reddit is like it someone it's like someone combined a kitchen and a bathroom where everyone hangs out <laughs> <laughs> will my school get rid of dedicated study period probably not they'll probably just make step one dedicated shorter and step two dedicated longer I, I that think would, that's yeah. pretty reasonable, yeah. That would be a bad look if their students started to fail. I, I actually think that um, what's more likely to happen is, and where Iowa is a little bit ahead of the curve, is more schools will go to a one-and-a-half-year preclinical curriculum and two-and-a-half-year clinical curriculum because mm-hmm. that's actually, I think, the best way yeah. to relieve the pressure that we were talking about We've already done that, and so, yeah. Of having, yeah, if you, you don't take step two CK until right before, like, a few months before you're going to apply. So yeah. if you now can take it, like, in the spring of your third year after you do your core rotations like we do in, at Iowa, then that's a much better kind of setup. Yo, I'm not seeing the memes. All I'm seeing is nerds trying to study. (laughs) I'm very disappointed. Well, I'll show you. I'll show you. I found my, uh, it says live updates from campus on the step one changes. Gunners wandering aimlessly, hoping to stumble on a new sense of purpose. Gyms are empty. Ortho bros can no longer bench their step scores. Cries can be heard from steady rooms. Faint sounds of space bars. (laughs) Space bars is the Anki. It's like you like Uh, flip cards and Anki. Wow. I died. I thought that was hilarious. So actually, so th- it's interesting. The the whole MD PhD thing is interesting. Um, like whether you you know you I, have you got, you guys took step one before you started your PhD I'm, phase. I'm studying for it right you're, now. Oh, okay. Ooh. <laughs> but so <laughs> very like, personal, very yeah. personal. Will, will will you be applying? Because you know you like you have a score, right? And you'll have a score, mm-hmm. a three digit score. But you'll be applying. You know, I don't know. About in a time when not be, but you'll be applying with people who have pass fail, mm-hmm. you know, on their step one. But will you like will your score be reported to schools as pass fail or will you still have we, the score? It's nobody we really don't knows. Know. Yeah. Yeah. Our like the way that we've been thinking about it is even if we're in, you know, the majority of other people that we apply with, unless they're other MD PhDs, will have pass fail. So I see it as like. I'm kind of glad because I've been passing my like practice exams, but I we've also always been told by our program that the PhD is a big asset. So mm-hmm. we've always just been told to pass step one. I mean, do as well as you can, but it probably the PhD will help bolster your residency application as well. Mm-hmm. So for us, it's like I don't want to say it, it's nothing, but I don't know. I think a lower score for an MSDP student is um, more acceptable. It's it's just more forgiving for us because we do bring a whole other degree and a whole right. other skill set to the table and more universities are trying to move toward like if not an R1, you know, like top tier research institution had least be staffed with people who know how to write grants and get money. So I don't I don't know that it I don't think it'll hurt us. I don't think this is going to hurt us. Yeah. But what if you like, OK, you, you know, you have a great like research background and publications mm-hmm. and uh you got like a 194 on step like mm-hmm. you barely passed you know what i mean mm-hmm. yeah because you still have to pass boards you know for your specialty and the one thing that step one is correlated to is your likelihood of passing boards and programs mm-hmm. really don't want you to fail boards because that looks really bad for them sure so i wonder well i will say like <laughs> looking back on the step averages like our program at least here has been around 
you know, average for our step scores. And a little above average, actually. So I, you know, I don't really see it as being for this institution. I don't really see it being an issue. It might. Oh, sorry. Oh, no. oh, it might not be for MSDPs, but like a real concern right now, I guess, is like with our M1 class. Again, mm -hmm. like we don't know what they're going to do, but the way it stands, we would take um, step one in you know, January, February of our third year. We would, you know, if all goes according to USMLE, take it with a pass fail. However, the rest of the 2023 applying cohort from schools across the country right. will probably take they it will have a, taken it with a score. seven or eight months before you guys right because of the nature of our one and a half year two and a half year curriculum. right so are are we going to have a pass fail at carver and other institutions that do it like this which is in the minority or are they are they just going to nullify all other people who take it before the pass right. fail and just like that is so, a good question and actually that was my first question when i saw that is that like <laughs> is this going to be implemented retroactively so anyone who hasn't been accepted to a residency if they're also, applying that's what i'm talking about yeah, yeah. That's like, yeah. if you guys are applying like are you, is your score going to show up or is i don't know be, yeah they to literally haven't, they guess. haven't said anything yeah. which is scary but you know the well. hard, the hard thing too about msdp students is that because of the lag time between when we take step one and mm -hmm. when we actually apply to residency they almost always look like bad scores because like the average just goes up every because, year yeah which is one right? of the problems why they got rid of it right yeah, yeah. i think res residency directors take that into account and in particular if you're applying to a psdp which is like the the MSDP of residency. Yeah, <laughs> basically. Yeah, it's residency. Dave is looking at me weird. It's residency with like one Physician or two. Physician scientist training program. Yeah. So you're already a doctor and then you decide to, to yeah. do research. Well, it's like residency with a greater research focus for right, people right. who are MD, PhDs. And some of them yeah. have fellowships built into, I thought. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. I don't I don't know that any MD graduates ever really apply to those. But anyway, the you point. You can. You can. It's, you can. They're, they're, yeah. If you, so like if you did a bunch of research in your md years and mm -hmm. you know maybe you got some grant funding of some sort and like yeah. you could be eligible for it but that's fair typically now it's because msdps are you know more common those they are most competitive for those spots i think that's fair i don't know much about them but yeah so uh should this change be factored into terrified chihuahua's plans for applying to residency <laughs> i don't think we know I think, enough i think terrified chihuahua should apply to schools where that where they will fit in mm -hmm. and that has always been the advice i think that we yeah. gave on this show is like hey you should apply to places where your numbers match and you are competitive for consideration but like most importantly you should go to a school where you feel at home well he's already people. i think in school he's already at school oh but oh, for I, the, think I think right. the same but i for think residency. for the oh same. okay yeah. apply for a residency mm -hmm. yeah. yeah i i um yeah i suspect we don't really know enough yet to be like, okay, well, this is this is how you should, you know, proceed with your. If anything, I would guys. recommend doing more research, because I think that's going to be a bigger factor. I think yep. your letters of recommendation are going to be a bigger factor. Mm -hmm. Both of those things benefit people who are at more prestigious uh, institutions because there are more opportunities. opportunities for research, and right. there are bigger name people who will write you letters potentially there. Yeah. Um, but I think there's also. Well, I don't know. I feel like Maybe every, there's also everything a way else that... is going to become more important. Yeah. The name of your school, your extracurriculars, your right. grades potentially, which I found out this week, uh, Carver is like not in the norm of schools that are strictly pass fail. 
like there's more i think out of 150 med schools something like 120 are strictly just pass fail and we're like one of 40 maybe 30 that are like really i thought that it was more common to have like it was kind of a trend at the top end of the like rankings of medical schools that they were going to more pass fail because that way they're that way you you can't look at their grades to stratify to stratify them and all you have to go on is the brand name of the school which benefits you if you go to a you know school with a strong brand name yeah but I think more more schools than I realized anyway are like just pass fail. Yeah, no, it's more common. I think actually that may start to revert. I, I would I would I think it might it could it could although uh, although the problem that pointed out by the two people who responded to my request for comment, you know, pointed out that it's really hard to take that information into account because I mean we know that I I think it's fair to say that some schools are. Uh, harder graders than others yeah. um you know you have to work harder to get you know uh an honors grade than you know it's at one institution than you do at another and mm -hmm. so and and there is a strong feeling i don't think i'm talking out of, out of school here but i think there's a strong feeling that you know there's grade inflation at some schools yes um and you know so so it's possible that residency programs will be like well now i have no idea what's going on so i think uh and you know dave you know a lot about this because you draft our dean's letters mm -hmm. um and on those letters i you know you can read them i read mine before it went out thanks for doing a great job you're welcome <laughs> <laughs> thank you to me for doing thank good you. I, I think that's <laughs> having good that's things to put on <laughs> what i would say you can you can, yeah. you can you can thank me for a lack of grammatical errors yeah yeah it was well written <laughs> was pretty much what i do but but <laughs> the, hit the keyboard with expertise yeah, yeah. Un, unmatched the you know you guys give a lot of context in those letters like you there's a little bar chart that shows the proportion of people who got honors near honors pass and fail in yeah. each clerkship yeah. and then shows where you are and then there's like a graph that shows you know your overall you know the numerical rank you know evaluations that yeah. that the staff give you and where you fall in that and so that's you know kind of in an effort to contextualize your grades yeah. i think you know one thing that some some schools do that may become more common is they'll put they put your shelf exam scores on your dean's letter interesting mm -hmm. and that's another you know in, in you know in the spirit of uh you know trying looking around for other objective measures well, that would be interesting yeah. is is yeah that you know there are these you know you know standardized uh you know objective quote-unquote mm -hmm. tests that all you know most medical students take that you know they that are you know could be made available yeah. to residency programs by the way interesting point about the mspes because um in fact the reason we have those bar charts um, or those bar graphs and all those charts and stuff like that. The reason it, we have those is because the program directors in like 2016, the program directors all said that's what they wanted. Mm -hmm. um, so, you, you know, there was say, a, like, oh, this person got honors and only like 15% right, of people in that clerkship got honors that year. So that must mean something. Yeah. In particular, like this was one of the things. 50%. That, yeah. In particular, honors. this is one of the things that the that you know whatever working group was responsible for coming up with these recommendations this was the thing that one of the things that they wanted they wanted these graphs yeah i think they're useful. um but but now to hear that residency program directors are like well we can't rely on those 
I'm like, well, God damn it. We spent a lot of time putting them, putting them stupid graphs together. Yeah. I want you to throw this sandwich in the air. I want you to cut it in half. I want it to land sideways. <laughs> oh, that's not going to work for me at all. Yeah. Huh? All right. Yeah, imagine final. if you were a school that just went through a curriculum, like rehaul, overhaul to better prepare your students yeah. to do better on step one. <laughs> that takes years to put that together, you know? Yeah. yeah. Oh, I forgot to mention this was you had asked about like top schools going past fail from what I again read on Reddit was like some of the lower lower tier were also going to pass fail so that their students could spend more time studying for step one so that it's yeah. pass fail, et cetera. So now we'll, well, how about this? So you take step two CK mostly after your clinical your M3 year. So now instead of being stressed about step one after your preclinical years, are students going to be going through the stress of third year, which I would argue is probably more stressful on the whole than step one, if you put it all together, uh, while having to worry about studying for what is now the most important test of their medical school career? And is that going to take away from uh, their desire to want to, you know, spend time in clinic at the hospital you know learning from patients which i think we all agree is the best the part ideal yeah. way to you know learn in medical school and i think that's an open question as well oh boy is uh i hadn't thought of that is uh terrified chihuahua and everyone else overthinking this <laughs> overthinking no i think maybe overreact like again we just don't know the information so i don't think overthinking is the right word like i think these are important things to discuss and like be aware of probably the most important the, the best thing you could do at this point is to you know sit and wait sit and wait see what yeah. see what plays out i think there's going to be more um there's going to be more adjustments made um in the yeah. coming weeks and months it's or, a little too early to know what's going to happen. Right. You in should fact, probably just continue to try and do your best. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was going to say, that, like, throughout this whole conversation, all I can, like, I really hate conversations like this because I get so stressed out. But um, Sorry. No, 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 no. I mean, it's... There's Unsubscribe, no way, there's, I made it this far having these conversations, so, like... There's no way to avoid it. Right. Yeah. And I, But I also do think that, like, and going back to your, will people want to stay in clinic? God, I hope so. Like... That's the whole point, just, guys. Just, yeah. <laughs> You're, you're you have the enormous privilege to be in this institution not like this one specifically the institution of medicine like well also this one but you know whatever institution <laughs> you're a part of yeah like you have the opportunity to be here we are in the top echelon of people the fact that we're trying now to parse ourselves down even more into who's the top one percent of one percent like, yeah it is kind of it you know. makes me really kind of like what the f i get <laughs> I want to like hit my head against the table, but, but it, I mean, it's e it's easy to look at medical students like, oh, like they're so neurotic, they care so much, but like it is enormously consequential to your life. The I, system yeah. makes and you that way. Yeah, if like it, people, yeah. medical students are smart, they're self interested, and they understand incentivization and they respond to it appropriately. And you know, if you like going to medical school and becoming a doctor like one type of doctor is completely different from another type mm -hmm. of doctor and your career and your life will look entirely different you mm -hmm. know depending on what specialty you end up going into so it's like to say that like well you know you shouldn't be upset because you can't become an orthopedic surgeon and like you know you, now you you know are most likely to be able to match into family medicine like you know that's that's all fine and good but like that's you know that's a completely different job mm -hmm. and like it's it's really meaningful to people to be able to you know 
be self-fulfilled and and to like achieve the you know dreams that they have for themselves and you know a lot of these things stand in the way of that mm-hmm. and so i don't think it's like it's easy to say like you know medical students are silly and they shouldn't worry about it and you know they're overreacting but like it is a big deal and having just gone through the whole process like it is very stressful and it is enormously <laughs> consequential to right. your life and like that you know we should like like that's why i'm kind of frustrated with this decision is because i don't think it shows a lot of respect to the medical students who actually have to go through this process and will mm-hmm. now be affected by this choice mm-hmm. you know yeah i didn't mean to diminish that at all i just well you did no I'm just <laughs> no no that's not what i'm saying that's not yeah. what i'm saying <laughs> Yeah. I think what we're frustrated by is just how much of our value is tied up in this score. Mm-hmm. And we, I, I agree with what Matt is saying. And I also agree with what Hannah is saying. I, we want to know that the people who are overseeing this are not treating it lightly. And they're not being, you know, doing this willy-nilly. That well, I think I, plan. I, I, personally, I have some hope. But, you know, like I'm, my personal uh, response to these situations is, uh, is almost always for some reason like okay it's gonna be fine you guys but so here's what here here is what uh michael barone the vice president for licensure at nbme had to say the subsequent work that's just being undertaken by the coalition focuses on a systems-wide fix to the medical school to residency transition one that was highlighted at incas as being so flawed and we anticipate that some of the questions coming up within that work could be, well, what is the role of standardized tests in the transition? And in fact, what is the role of other competency assessments that currently have less standardization than USMLE has, and as a result, less reliability? We're really anticipating that the coalition's work could help us sift through some of these questions. So uh, ongoing work is apparently planned. Um, well, of course, I had a whole lot of other things to talk about on today's show, but we just spent 49 minutes talking about a three-digit score. <laughs> Matt called it. Uh, he was like, we're going to talk about this the whole hour. Basically. But before we go, um, I thought maybe we'd go through an exercise. Um, uh, what will replace the step one three-digit score? Wrong answers only. <laughs> How many M&Ms you can fit in your mouth? Yes, yes. Oh, come on. That was gold. None of you left. La- I'm trying to think of mine, and I okay. I don't... I'm not hematocrit. Gonna... I think that would be... Applicants hematocrit. Uh, what I would really like is like a Spotify playlist kind of thing. Like how well... <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like how well does your like, you know, 2019 lineup match up with, with the this? With the other, with the residents. Right, and with yeah. The they're all talking director. about like fit and whatnot, and <laughs> this is, you know, key to some people's hearts. Guy listens to Aaron Neville. We don't want it. Yeah. How many hours you can stay up in a row without drinking coffee? There you go. Oh, yeah. Oh, shit. Uh, probably like I don't know. For for some people, there is like you go on interviews and people are talking about like how many triathlons they've run in the last year. So I'd say probably that. Oh, that's got to be a yeah. feature of ortho or emergency medicine. Yeah, I, that's more emergency. Medicine. Yeah, <laughs> you know the 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 ortho score is uh, max bench plus. <laughs> Step one over five hundred. So <laughs> they're gonna have to find somebody something else. Uh, all right. Well, uh, I want to thank you guys, Hannah, Matt, Nathan, Aline. Thank you for being my co-hosts today in this very wonky discussion. And of course, thank you, Short Coats, for making us part of your week. If you're new here and you like what you heard today, subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever find podcasts are available and by the way if you know of a of a place to get podcasts and we're not there i want to know about it so let me know 
Um, I remind you that your questions are vital to the show because they mean the show can be about what you want it to be about. So be like terrified Chihuahua. Send questions and comments to shortcuts at gmail.com. You can leave us a message at 347-SHORT-CT. We'll talk about it on the show. While your podcast app is open, give us some more stars and a review to let us know if we're doing right by you. Just like Z90 million from the U.S. and Mofu Neko Niko from Japan did recently. Thank you, friends. The show is made possible by a generous donation by Carver College of Medicine Student Government and ongoing support from the Writing and Humanities Program. Our opening music is by Dr. Vox and our closing music is by Catmosphere. Talk to you in one week. <laughs>